Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and, with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Good morning. Great to see everybody today. Thanks for braving, braving the weather. Last week you had snow. This week you got rain. It's awesome. Appreciate you being here. Welcome uh, West Falls Church and online. Trust issues. We're talking about trust uh, today. Um, I just want to say one thing, if I can, real quick. We just showed a video about teams. You know, actually joining a team is uh, one of the best ways to take a next step in your relationship with God. Actually, it's a proven fact. There's top three ways. It's one of the top three ways that we actually take a next step in our relationship with God. And here at Grace, I got to tell you, we have some of the most amazing people in this city who serve on teams. So you get to meet a lot of really, really great people. And today, you get popcorn in the lobby too. Isn't that awesome? So uh, do that. Hey, um, I've been married a number of years, and I've done a lot of marriage counseling, and I've realized this, that every marriage is a challenge. Anybody would say, yeah, I think it might be right. Every marriage is a challenge. Anybody would agree to that? Anybody? Okay, good. Thank you very much. We have an awesome marriage conference coming up. You might as well do everything you can to put your marriage at an advantage, and we have a conference coming up uh, on St. Patrick's Day. How can you forget what day it's on? It's on St. Patrick's Day, so uh, we encourage you to, to sign up for that. You can do that today. All right, trust issues. I got an email uh, a couple weeks ago, and it caught my attention because the subject heading to it was trust nobody. And so because we're doing trust issues, of course, that immediately caught my attention. Trust, trust nobody. And you know what it said? And this is one of these news, like little quick, quickie news things, right? It said this, that you know how you get emails where it's like scams and you're pretty sure it's a scam, you know it? Artificial intelligence is getting so good, everybody. It's getting so good that it can mimic your family and your friends and it can like talk in a way they would talk, write in a way they would write to you, tell the same stories, all that, so you can't even tell the difference in the emails and they're coming in through your family or friends. And so you should trust nobody. How do you like that? So something that began as a conduit of information and knowledge, now you have no idea where you are. This is why we have trust issues in the world. 
because we've got all this stuff that's going on, right? Okay, so this story we're going to talk about today is one of the most famous, most well-loved, my pack just came off, sorry, one of the most well-loved stories that we have in the Bible uh, about a battle between this giant by the name of Goliath and this little teenage boy by the name of David. And when you want to talk about trust, when you want to talk about belief, wow, David really, really believed. Nobody believed in David. No, everybody's like, there's no way that this could possibly work. Nobody gave him a chance, but he believed against all odds. He trusted in God. David, as the scripture verse says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he walked by faith, not by sight. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that he walked by faith, not by sight? You got this uh, little teenage guy. All the other men in Israel were afraid to go out and fight. King Saul, who should have gone out and fought because he was head and shoulders above everybody. Tall Saul, he should have gone. He didn't do it. Nobody did it because the Goliath, the giant is so big. But David went out walking by. It's the highest form, right? The highest form of trust. It's the purest expression. David is in an impossible situation. The odds in Vegas were totally against him, right? He had no reason to believe that he could win. And it says this, that every morning and every night, the giant came out and taunted all of Israel. Think about your giants for a moment. Think about your giants. Don't they tend to show up every morning when you wake up and every night when you go to bed? Isn't that interesting? That's the first thing you think about when you wake up. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed at night. You're worried about whatever that is. That's the giant in your space. And in your face. And this is what Goliath did every single day, morning and night. But David had a powerful, powerful faith. I read this recently about faith. Ready? Here's what it says. Quote. I don't know who said it. I just read the quote. Faith is like Wi-Fi. It's invisible, but it has the power to connect you to what you need. I'm going to read that again. Faith is like Wi-Fi. It's invisible, but it has the power to connect you to what you need. What is faith? Last week we talked about what is worship. Today we're going to talk about what exactly is faith. It's against all odds. In this story, one of the most well-known stories around the globe. And if you're a sports fan, you hear it all the time. It's about the underdog who has not a chance of winning. Against all odds, despite what you can see, you believe and you trust. Is that what the story of David and Goliath is telling us? Think about this for a moment. Is this what this story is trying to communicate is that we should walk by faith, not by sight. I'm always trying to think of ways how I can, uh uh-oh, don't go away, don't go away. I'm always trying to think of ways how I can visualize things because I was told as a speaker, you not only need to say it, you need to show it, okay? So after I retrieve this wonderful thing right here, I'm going to put something on here and I'm going to try to visualize what it means to walk by faith, not by sight. Is this your idea? of what faith is, right? That you're blindfolded. Now, I told nobody I was going to do this before because I was afraid somebody would play a prank on me and you would all quietly walk out. <laughs> is this what it means to walk by faith, not by sight? So, I can't get too far, I'll never get back, right? Is this it? Is this the picture of faith, walking by faith, not by sight? Can't see it. Is this what God expects of us I mean, is this the opinion that you have or somebody you know has that that this is what the Bible is saying when it says we walk by faith, not by sight, or David against all odds, despite what he can see? Is this this it? Is this the purest expression of faith? Is this what God expects of us? You know, the Bible says without faith we can't please God. Is this what pleases God? 
I want you to think for a second, okay? Think with me. How do you have trust in anybody? How does trust happen with anybody? So my wife and I, we've been married a number of years. We've known each other since we were 12. If she was to ask me one day, John, do you trust me? Uh, all husbands in the room, what will my answer be? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yes. And then she, then she follows it up with something much more difficult. She says, why? Right? You still here? Okay. Right. Why? Why do you trust me? What if I just said, well, I just do. I just, I just do. I don't have any reason. I just do. You don't have a reason after all these years of marriage and you've known it. You have no reason. Oh, no, no, no. I just do. It's blind. It's blind faith. I just purely believe in you. Would she be insulted? Would she say, after all these years of marriage, you can't give me a long list of reasons why you trust and you believe in me? And if that would insult her, my question to you is this. Does that insult God? Or is God just trust? Trust is a different animal when it comes to God. So what does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight and to put our trust in God. Faith, everybody, is hoping for something in the future that is based on a mountain of evidence in the past. I'll say it again. Faith in the Bible is hoping for something in the future based on a mountain of evidence from the past. Faith is rooted in it's rooted in fact. So what's the story of David and Goliath really trying to tell us? So you have David, and if you want to go back and you read the story, we just read an excerpt. It's an awesome story. Start all the way back like the 12th to 13th chapter of 1 Samuel, right? Read the whole thing. You've you're you got David, you have Goliath, you have King Saul, you have the prophet Samuel. And over and over and over again, it keeps saying appearance, appearance. This is the way it looked. It looked good, but it wasn't good. This, Goli- you don't get any other place in the Bible such a detailed description of a warrior as you do Goliath. I mean, it's, that was a very detailed, he had 150 pounds of armor basically on him. It just, from head to toe, you got all these, you know other place in the Bible you get that kind of detail, right? Because it's appearance, it's appearance, it's appearance. You can't do it. David, you can't do it. You're too small. There's no way he's big, right? It's all about appearance over and over and over again. And appearance or sight is shallow, not based in fact or not based in character. So Saul was anointed king, first king of Israel, King Saul, tall Saul. He looked good. Had he done anything to deserve the position? No, but he was tall. He looked good. Did he have character? We don't know, but he's tall. He looks really presidential. And so Samuel anoints him and Saul doesn't have any character. He's a liar. He's a compromiser. He runs with people who perpetrate injustice and now God is grieved. God's like, this is enough. I can't take this. Got to get this guy out. Samuel, I need you to go and find somebody. Notice there's somebody who's after my own heart. Now, what does that mean? What's somebody's heart? Oh, they have heart. When somebody says, that person has heart, they're talking about somebody's character. And God says, and it's the only person in all of Scripture that we're told is after God's own heart. What's that mean? Heart is character. So I'm looking for somebody who is after and aligning or running after the character of God. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who's going to say, yay, Jesus, yeah. No, I'm looking for somebody who is consumed with the character and the name of God because the name of God reflects the character of God, right? I'm looking for somebody like that. David's the only one that said about and actually says about him twice in the Scriptures. So his character is after the character of God. So Samuel shows up to David's family He doesn't know which son of Jesse he is going to anoint as king. And Eliab walks in, the oldest. And man, he's a good-looking guy. 
And Samuel gets out of his chair. Oh, he's got, he's, that's it. He's the one. And God's like, Samuel, we've already been through this once, right? You've been around the block a few times. He might look good. Appearance might look good, but I'm looking for the heart. I'm looking for what's on the inside is what God says to Samuel. He says, just wait. Jesse, David's dad, didn't even invite him to the party, even though Samuel said, bring all your sons. Didn't even invite him. Well, finally, they get down all the way through all the sons, and Dan's like, is this it? Because none of, is this, he's, well, I got one, I didn't even invite him in. So he is so overlooked, he is so disparaged, None, nothing, look, you know, it's interesting that Isaiah 53 says about Jesus Christ, there was nothing in his external appearance that would draw us to him. And very much like David. Completely, completely, completely overlooked. Man tends to look on the outer appearance. God looks out the heart. Why? Because that's character. And right, everybody, what do we know about character? Character is king. Character is always king. Now, Washingtonians, all right, type A, highly successful Washingtonians, do we ever make the mistake of looking at outer appearance? Like in a Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat world, do we ever base things on appearance or do we always go after character because character is king? Do we ever get caught up? Do we ever get caught up in just those things that are external rather than looking at somebody's character down deep? You know, when you take a look at people's lists that they have for, like, this is the spouse I want, I'm talking about the real list, not the list they show you, all right? The one that you get by their actions, right? For most, of the, most, most people, the list starts with looks or career or money or are they hip? Do they have the hip? They're not, they're not cool enough for me. Do we, do we get caught up with that, right? All right? So I think a lot of guys are, you know, maybe looking for a smoking hot woman, and then once they get her, they just hope like heck she has some character. You know what I'm saying? Right? And women don't fall for that. Because women just immediately go for character and guys. You know that, right? I, I'll never forget the day a buddy of mine, this happened many years ago, uh, we went to lunch together in Tyson's. And uh, the place we went to, um, very crowded, very packed, a lot of young professionals in this place, and we drive up, and the whole front of the restaurant was glass, so you could see everybody who drove by. And uh, he drew, drove in in his brand new car, which was a brand new silver car, and I drove in in my brand new silver car. And we walked into the restaurant, and when we opened the door to come in, the bar was right there, and it was lined with a lot of young professional women, and they all turned around and stared at him, and I was like invisible. And they were just staring. And my buddy is older than me, shorter than me, and totally balder than me. Not that being bald is a bad thing. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just saying. And so they were all like <gasps> hanging open, looking at him. I said, what is this about? He drove in a brand new silver car. I drove in a brand new silver car. He was a brand new silver Ferrari, and mine was a brand new silver Toyota RAV4. <laughs> I will never forget that day. So do we get caught up in the external appearance? And does what's happening in our world ever contribute to any of that? Right? 2 Corinthians 5 says this famous verse. I've already quoted already. We walk by faith, not by sight. What is it trying to say to us? It's trying to contrast us. People are walking by sight in that verse, right? Because if you read in the context all around it, it's people who are hanging on to something that's never going to last. And it's not smart. Facts are against them. Like, we're going to live forever. We're going to feel good in the moment. You know, and he's saying, you're going to die. 
Like if you're all looking at the outside and it's all about appearance and you actually like the way you look, most people don't like the way you look, but when you look in the mirror, if you love the way you look, okay, just wait for 10 or 15 or 20 years from now. You might not like it. If you go after somebody because the way they look, just wait for 20 or 30 or 40 years. You might not see the same person. Do you follow me? And he's saying, look, you're not based in fact. You're not thinking. You're not thinking. And he's contrasting living in an unreal world sight with something that's real. Something that's sure, something that's lasting, God, character, the name of God, reflecting the character of God. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the classic chapter on faith. What is faith? What is faith? What exactly is it? It's a classic chapter on faith in the Bible. It says in verse number three, very interesting, it says, by faith we understand. Can I paraphrase that for you? By faith we think deeply. By faith we understand. By faith we think. We think. We're thinking about things, and we're thinking very, very deeply. This is written to a, to a community of Jewish people who are suffering persecution, and they're wondering why they continue to trust in God in the midst of persecution. Doesn't that happen to all of us? When we're suffering and things aren't going right, you wonder, oh, man, am I going down the right path here? What in the world am I doing? Is this right? They're suffering. They're hurting. So he's writing to them. And does he say, hey, you have no reason to believe, but... Just go ahead and do it anyway. Put the blindfold on and just faith is a force and it's a feeling and just conjure up your feelings and just run at it. Just go. He doesn't do that, actually. He gives them fact upon fact, evidence upon evidence, reason upon reason, tangible upon tangible to believe. Isn't that interesting? In the chapter, the classic chapter, that is about faith. He says faith is rooted in facts. And what we need to do when we're in the midst of a battle, what do you need to do when you're in the midst of the battle? What do you want to do? You want to get emotional? You want to forget things? You want to forget what's going on? Or do you just want to think deeply? He's trying to get them to think deeply and not make a knee-jerk emotional reaction that is void of deep thought and void of facts. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. And he just gives all this stuff through that. What do you want to do when you're in the midst of the battle with your giant? Hmm? What do we know about warfare? What do, what, what do people do who are in warfare? Who are successful warriors? What is the makeup of somebody who's a successful warrior? I'm, I'm almost finished with Ron Chernow's book on General Grant. Excellent book. I read almost everything Ron Chernow writes. It's fantastic. General Grant, considered one of the greatest generals of all time. People say he could have been a great general in any any war that he fought in. Uh, greatest civil rights uh, president from Lincoln to LBJ, right? So we're talking about a great guy, a person of tremendous character. Tremendous character. Grant was in the army up until about, mm, I think, 1854, left the army with some problems, uh, some reasons. He hit hard times. Uh, he was always disparaged, much like David. Nobody thought he would amount to anything. His own fa- When he became a general, he asked his father, could, and his father had money, could, could you give me some money so I can buy a general's uniform? His dad said, no. No, very, very much disparaged. He was the massive underdog, but he had, but he had character. And when he was in hard times, he was out on, the, he was out in California. He was out in California and, um, he hit hard times and he's leaving the military, didn't have hardly any money. And he met a fellow soldier and that soldier, uh, loaned him some money so he could have something to eat and a place to stay. And then later in his life, years later, he's in St. Louis and he's really in hard times and he's basically selling firewood on the streets of St. Louis like a, like, like, almost like he's homeless the way it's described. Can you believe believe this. This is just before the Civil War starts, everybody. 
And the, the great general is on the street like a homeless. And so he saw the guy and he had no money. He saw that soldier that loaned him money and he goes in his pocket and says, here, I, I, I owe you this money back. I happen to have it. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. Don't you, so I'm not, you're, please no. And Grant forces, because of his character, forces him to take the money. You know, the next time he saw that soldier? Appomattox. When Lee was surrendering to Grant. Man had tremendous, tremendous character. Here's the thing about Grant. Um, in battle, he had an incredible calmness that came over him. It's incident after incident, just unbelievably calm. Unbelievably. Bullets whizzing by him. He had a bullet whiz by him just down here in southern Virginia in the battle over Richmond, like three inches from his ear. Hit a, hit a tree right behind him. Did not flinch. And this happened to him all the time. And he said to the corporal next to him, he says, dig that thing out of the tree. Let's find out what the enemy's using. Phenomenally calm. Here's what you want in the middle of battle, okay? This is, this, this is what you want. You want somebody who's going to think deeply. You want to be somebody who's going to think deeply when you're facing your giants. It is said that Grant would sit for hours outside of his tent and chew on a cigar and just think. Think. They said his brain worked more than any other general in the Civil War. He just thought. Thought. And he didn't just think about the battle. He thought about the entire war. What do you want to do when you're in the midst of the battles against your giants in your life? When Goliath comes up against you, what do you want to do? Hebrews says you should really think, and you should think deeply, and you should consider the facts. So what are the facts that the writer of Hebrews gives to the people there? Well, he gives them a lot of facts. I want to give you one. I want to give you one really, really, really good one. Remember, they really knew the Jewish scriptures. They were Jewish. They really knew the scriptures. They understood them well. They knew that God said to a man without kids... God said to a man without kids, Abraham is his name. Anybody know Abraham? Okay. You're going to become a nation. You're going to become a nation. Did Abraham become a nation? Yes, he did. It's called the nation of Israel today. Does Israel exist? Yes, it came into being. And as they're having this written to them 2,000 years ago, oh, yes. Not only do we have evidence, we have a nation filled of evidence that Abraham, when God says, you're going to become a nation, and they became a nation. Can you think of any other person in history that's become a nation? Do you know somebody named Joe that's become a nation? Or Sally that's become a nation? Is there, I'm sure, maybe there's one, but I just can't think of something. Do you know of any single one singular person who's become a nation all throughout the history of the world? Abraham. Abraham. And God said he'd do it when he didn't have any kids. This is some pretty massive evidence, Right? And they were a nation and then got dispersed all over the world. And then they came back together and are a nation once again. That's like a nation full of evidence. What is faith? Faith is hope in the future based on a mountain. In this case, a nation of evidence from the past. That's pretty remarkable. And God says, God says, you know what? You're going to bless all the nations. I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless all the nations. Well, what is that? You know what happens today when a country has like a, nas- uh, a disaster, like there's an earthquake or there's a hurricane or something? Nations rise up and they help them. They help them. They help them. You know what they did back in those days when God spoke that to Abraham? When your neighbor, your nation neighbor had a problem, you sent your army because you got them while they're down. But something happened about 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus Christ that a seed was planted and it's grown to this day that when a nation suffers... Other nations rise up and look to bless. Isn't that quite interesting? We have a nation filled of evidence. Evidence. Faith is not blind. It's actually based or rooted in fact. 
Faith is hoping for something in the future based on a mountain of evidence from the past. When Jesus says these famous words, you can ask for anything in my name, I don't know about you, but where my mind goes to is a million dollars. That's what I'm thinking. Ask for anything in my name, a million bucks, bring it on. And once the first million comes in, we'll start talking about the second and third. You, you, all right. Does anybody think that way? But he qualifies this as in my name, which means what? It's got to be within the character of God. Within the very character of God, honesty, integrity, equality, sacrificial love, selfless service, all these things that we've been learning about God's name, all the things that are written over and over about God's name, those are the things that God's into. Those are the things that God fights for. Who's going to fight for you? When you're fighting for the things of God, for the character of God, he's fighting with you because he's already in the midst of the battle. This is what it's saying. You can't, I just can't. I can't ask for a million bucks and expect it to come back. I just can't ask for God to heal me and expect it to happen. What I need to ask for is for things that are in keeping with the character of God. Those are the things that he's after. Not that you can't ask for a million bucks. Not that you can't ask for healing. But this is what it means to pray in God's name. We're doing, we're doing something we started last week called Trust Drills. Now, I think it's awesome, this texting service. If you weren't here last week, you can watch last week's message, or you can go up on Facebook and find out the information how to sign up for it. I send a text once or twice a day. We now have over 600 people doing this. And I just want to clarify what we're doing here. We are literally praying the names of God. There's nine plays that God has in this world, nine characteristics of God. We are literally praying the name of God, asking God to create his character in us. That's what we're doing over and over and over and over again. And we need help, right? I don't just like try to have the character of God. I actually need God's help. Have you ever noticed this about yourself? I've noticed this about me. I am never tempted to be selfless. I'm never tempted to be honest, like, oh my gosh, Krista, I feel like I'm getting ready to be honest. Help me. Help me. I'm never tempted to show sacrificial love. I'm tempted for the other, and that's why. And so we're all 600 of us praying for each other. That's powerful. That's community. That's powerful. And what are we praying for? The character of God to be birthed in us, the very name of God to come in existence in our lives because we need God to help us to do that. We are praying for that. Character is king in sight in the, in the story of David. Sight is shallow. What you see is shallow. Character lasts because God lasts forever. Billy Graham passed away this week, 99 years old one of the most admired men in America. And not all pastors are admired. I don't know if you didn't know that, but I do. Not all pastors are admired. One of the most admired people, one of the most admired people in, in America. Um, you ever heard of the Modesto Manifesto? The Modesto Manifesto. Anybody? Uh, the big crusade that really put Billy Graham on the map was the uh, California, Los Angeles crusade where Louis Zamperini, if anybody read the uh, book Unbroken or saw the movie, the movie was nowhere near as good as the book Unbroken, Louis Zamperini. That's where he, uh, he trusted in the name of the Lord at that crusade. So did a, a pretty well-known gang- gangster by the name of Mickey Cohen trust in the name of the Lord. Well, right after that crusade, they're in Modesto. Him and his four, Billy Graham and his, and his other three guys, so there's four of them, and they decided to make a pact, like a blood pact. I don't think they cut each other's fingers or arms or wrists, but they made a pact. And what do they say? Three things. We are going to be show absolute integrity, and we are never going to abuse money, sex, or power. We will never abuse it. And they said, we're going to hold each other accountable to this. 
Because if we do, if we abuse that, those three items, we are out of step with the very character of God. And we absolutely are not going to do that. God's character lasts. And that's what's being said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We should hang our hat and our hopes on things that, are, that will last. You know what General Lee said? General Lee, who's fighting, right? The Army of Northern Virginia was the name of his army. The Army of Northern Virginia. And he's fighting for the Confederates. And he himself said this. He believed that slavery would be toppled because of Christian charity, regardless of the outcome of the war. Because he believed. What else does he believe? He believed that God it's out of step with the character of God and eventually God is going to win. No matter the outcome of the Civil War, God will win because it's the character of God. The name of the Lord is to be praised. When we praise God's name, we are lifting up the very character of God, honesty, integrity, equality. Do you believe in the name of God? Do you trust in the name? With everything inside of me, I am here today to try to convince you no matter where you are, to put all of your trust in the name of the Lord, in his perfect and good character, in his goodness and his mercy and in his grace. As we are told over and over and over again, the name of the Lord is gracious and patient and compassionate. He's full of mercy and justice. He is loving and kind. This is what we want to triumph. Would you put your trust in God? We need to put our trust in that because character is what matters the most over and over and over again. As David runs down the slopes to fight Goliath and he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord. He is not saying my God is better than your God, giant Philistine. That's not what he's saying. He's saying I'm coming against you with honesty, integrity, and character. I am lifting those things up. And you, Goliath, stand in opposition to those things because they worship Baal, a God of injustice. I am coming and that I can't, I can't lose. I can't lose because I am coming against you with all of those things. He put his belief there. Will you become a person of faith today? Now, let me conclude by saying this. Trust adjusts the way we see things. Trust adjusts our vision. We talk a lot about appearance and vision. Trust makes adjustment in the way we perceive our giants that come up against us, Right? If you're a person of faith, now, I'm going to say something real quick here. And you might say, what? I've never heard that before. Okay. Malcolm Gladwell. Everybody know Malcolm Gladwell? Malcolm Gladwell. He did a TED talk on this, on David and Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell is a person of faith. He's a Christian, grew up in a Christian home, heard the story of David and Goliath. Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, right? He wrote Blink, Outliers, and Freakonomics. What else? All these New York Times bestsellers, right? Really popular. First job was right here at the Washington Post. Right? So in tremendously popular, right? He writes, he writes this thing about David and Goliath. And so you can go to YouTube and watch his TED talk on, on this whole thing if you like. But here's maybe something that you haven't heard before. Goliath, everybody, was big and slow. He was under 150 pounds of armor. He was really, really tall, which meant he probably had a disease. We know about this today. It's a disease of the pituitary gland. And people who are really, really tall, who have a similar disease today, have problems with their vision. They can't see well. They get double vision. And so when Goliath says, you're coming at me, David, with sticks, David didn't have sticks. He didn't have plural. He had one stick. But he can't see, which is why all of a sudden he got caught off guard, because he's heavy infantry. 
right? There's infantry, artillery, right? And cavalry. And he's heavy artillery. He's built. He's ready for close combat. This is what he's built for. He wasn't ready for an artillery person to come out against him. And all of a sudden, he's caught off guard. Everybody is looking. Everybody is looking at Goliath and says, you can't win. And David's looking through eyes of trust. And the character of God is, I I can't lose. I cannot lose. Do you know a, a slinger, an artillery, with a slingshot? The rocks they picked up were about the size of a tennis ball, about, about, about this size right here, about this size right here. They could knock somebody out or kill them from 200 yards away. Goliath needs David to be within a few feet. David says, this is a piece of cake. This is ridiculous, right? Let me throw one up there, all right? Watch yourself. Okay, how about over here? Okay. All right, that's, I just want you to have a visual. Hey, hey, watch. Jeepers, man. Goodness gracious, you got to keep your head up. Okay. You could knock somebody out at two, you could knock somebody out at 200 yards with that. And so David looks at this situation and says, I am in a no-lose situation. Trust, when we trust in the character of God, it adjusts the way that we look at our giants. And I want to ask you, will you become a person of faith today? Will you put your trust in the character of God? Would you put your trust, this is, this is who God is. This is what it means to have faith in God. It means you have faith in the things of God, in His character, in His goodness, and who He is. That's what you want to worship. That's what you want to lift up. That's what you put your faith in. Faith is rooted in the facts about God and what we know about God and what God has done in this world, what He said He would do and what He has already done over and over and over again. Now, what's the greater story of David and Goliath? There's always a greater story because Jesus Christ says every story is ultimately about him. Jesus Christ went down into that valley of death. He went down in that valley of death for you and for me. And he made the ultimate sacrifice for us in the worst possible conditions. Who wouldn't want to put their trust in somebody who has character like that? Who wouldn't say for somebody who would not turn their back on me in the worst possible, who would love me like that, who would sacrifice for me, who wouldn't say, you know, I want to trust somebody like that. And then today's communion. Don't move communion, people. Hold on. Hold. Just hold a second. We're given by Jesus communion, something tangible that we could touch, that we could feel. To explain to us, oh, this is what it means. This is what, this is the sacrifice that Jesus, I am tangibly feeling the cup and the bread. I can touch it, what he's done for me. Today I want to ask you, if you never placed your trust in God, today as you take communion, and you say, God, I, I, I'm trusting in your name. I'm trusting in your character. I'm putting my trust fully in you. If you've done that before, renew your trust in him. I'm going to turn it over to uh, Pastor Derek and Pastor Neil to uh, lead communion at Grace Live and at West Falls Church. I want to ask all those who are serving communion here if you'd, uh, if you'd go and get the trays, and I'm going to explain real quickly what we're going to do. So if you've never he- been here for communion before, you need to know this. Communion's open to everybody. Uh, what the Bible says is we all should really seriously examine our hearts because it's very serious. It's not something that, not something that you take flippantly. Christ, great sacrifice for us. So we also examine our hearts, but communion's open to absolutely everybody here. In just a moment, there'll be a tray that's passed down the uh, the rows here. And if you'll take uh, the small wafer and you'll take the cup, and if you'll just hold them for a few moments,
we're all going, we're going to say a prayer, and then we're all going to eat the bread and drink the cup together. Now, as we're passing, let me just say this. That Jesus Christ said on the very night that he was betrayed by one of his own disciples who he continued to love, when he protected his own disciples, when they could have all been arrested. Oh, please, please, please start. Just start. Yes, thank you. Uh, when he could have turned them in and he protected all of them. And through sacrificial love and the ultimate of selflessness, he gives his life for them and for all of us. And this is what it represents. He says, this is my body that's broken for you. This is my very life that's being shed for you. So I'd like you today, as we take communion, to think about this. Is there anybody of greater character that you would possibly like to hitch your life to? The title of this message today is Who Will Fight for You? If you are pursuing, lifting up, worshiping, going after the character of God, what we've learned in this series, then you have aligned yourself with what God is fighting for and God will always fight for you. Some of us are here today and you're in a bad situation and you're wondering, will the good win? It will eventually and hopefully very, very soon. Put your trust, put your faith in the name of the Lord. And that's what communion's about. I'm putting my trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for such exemplary character, for your sacrifice, the ultimate expression of character, your sacrificial love, that you would never turn your back on us and always would lay down your life for us. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup, and may your character be birthed over and over and over again in our lives to the honor and the glory of your name. Amen.